This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? What is up? Episode 249, future award-winning Talk About Flow podcast. Thank you to everybody out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download, support the show. Really, truly means a lot to me. If you've not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Today is the start of what we're going to call Sale Week on the Talk About Flow podcast. Today, I got my man, Sale Mariana veteran Buffalo Bills beat reporter at the Rochester DNC. Then on Friday's show, episode, milestone episode, by the way, 250. I'm going to have my man, Sal Capaccio from WGR 550. Very first guest I've ever had in the history of the podcast, by the way, Sal Capaccio. So I have him on Friday. Again, Sal Mariana today. Plenty to talk about with Sal today. Things are different, man. Just changed. And we're going to talk about a lot of that in regards to how sale covers the Buffalo Bills, policies, protocol, everything's been thrown out of whack, of course, because of this pandemic. Uh, sale drops some insight on how reporters have to cover the team, what they can and what they can't do, because that is still confusing. What it'll be like covering home games, what it'll be like covering the team on the road. Of course, we'll talk some Buffalo Bills. We'll talk about Sale's website, which, by the way, is awesome. Whether it's new stuff you're looking for, new content, old content. He's got stuff going back years and years and years. Yankees, Buffalo Bills stuff. It's awesome. We'll talk about that. Plenty more with Sale. We'll have that in just a couple minutes. Hope you guys had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. A much needed great weekend. That's because I got to see my daughter for quite literally the first time in 2020. My daughter is in the Air Force. She joined the reserves and she's been in boot camp and training. Since February, have not seen her. Now, my daughter lives in Buffalo. I'm down here for the time being anyway in Florida. So it just hasn't worked out. I was supposed to see her boot camp graduation in Texas, but that got shut down like everything else because of COVID. So she spent a couple months there and recently got transferred to Destin, Florida. Had to quarantine for a couple weeks before anybody could see her. So that finished up. And this past weekend, got the opportunity to take a Six and a half hour ride up the coast, the sun coast of Florida from where I live in Sarasota up to Destin. And uh, it was awesome. Great to see her. Of course, I'm so proud of her, man. Such a, a great moment for me. Great daddy moment. Very proud of her. By the way, Destin, Florida, man, you want to talk about a freaking beautiful city. That city is the shit. It is gorgeous. Gorgeous, man. Beaches. You name it. If you want to eat, well, it's pretty much like that anywhere in Florida, I suppose. But name a restaurant, and I promise you it's there. So many tiki bars, just so much shit to do. Of course, you need money. That's the way it is down here. 
You can do whatever you want to do, but you need a lot of money. But anyway, the scenery, the vibe, just so chill, man. It was really cool. So great weekend for me. Uh, one terrible thing over the weekend, of course. It wouldn't be 2020 if at least one terrible thing didn't happen. On the ride there, my wife was driving, and I'm looking at my Twitter like every two minutes, like I always do. That's just how I am with Twitter. I pretty much live on that damn thing. I tell you that all the time. I'm checking my Twitter, and I, and I learned that Cliff Robinson passed away on Saturday morning. Now, that sucked. Very sad. Cliff Robinson is one of the premier elite basketball players in the history of Western New York. Very sad news. He finally succumbed to a long illness. And as somebody who grew up in the west side of Buffalo, in the city, just absolutely obsessed with high school basketball. Cliff was a couple of years before me, but I would say from the early to mid 80s to maybe the mid to late 90s where high school basketball kind of fell off me a little bit at that point. But like I said, I was just absolutely obsessed with high school basketball. I treated these kids, in my eyes anyway, growing up, they were like NBA stars. And Cliff Robinson was just about as good as it gets when it comes to Western New York High School hoopsters of all time. I mean, a very small elite circle to me anyway, of the greatest players. You got Cliff Robinson, you have Bob Lanier, uh, Richie Campbell, uh, Curtis Aiken, uh, Trevor Ruffin, Christian Leitner, Johnny Flynn, Paul Harris, a couple others. I'm sure I'm forgetting some guys, but uh, yeah, among that very small circle, the best. And when it comes to successful players ever come out of Buffalo, Cliff's right there. Probably number two behind Bob Lanier, only Bob Lanier, an NBA Hall of Famer. Dude, Cliff Robinson played in the freaking NBA for 18 years, man. 18 years. A great winner, a very good NBA player, long career, great person. I did get the opportunity to meet Cliff once. Um, so yeah, that sucks. Very sad. Obviously, thoughts and prayers go out to his family, his friends, the entire Western New York basketball community, a very big loss. So rest in peace, Cliff Robinson. Again, navigating back to today's show, I got sale. It's going to be a great conversation about football, life, nostalgia, so much more. Not going to waste any more time at the top. Love talking to my man, Sale. So here it is, my chat with Sale Mariana. All right, I'm joined right now by longtime Buffalo Bills beat reporter for the Rochester DNC, Sal Mariana. What's going on, Sal? How you doing? I'm good, Pat. How you doing? I'm doing great. Second time on the podcast. I had you back. Dude, you're one of the uh, the old school guys that I've had on this show. All the way back, I was just looking it up. Episode 33, June of 2018. So a little bit over two years and about 210 episodes later, man. That was a fun man. episode. By the way, uh... Anyone who didn't listen to that, go check it out. We spent a lot of time. We didn't really talk any football. We talked about your life and uh, your career. It was a good one, man. So everyone listening, go check that out. Let me ask you this. Before we start off with anything else, you started covering the Bills in 1990, right? <laughs> well, that was my first full-time year for the paper. I, I'd actually covered the Bills all the way back to 1982. I was in college, and I was a stringer for the Associated Press. So I was able to go to Bill's games and and run quotes for the AP guys. And then I covered them a little bit. Um, I was I worked in Corning and, and did Bill's games. And then even when I got to Rochester, I would do the occasional game. So I've actually been over there since 1982. 
but yeah, full time for the paper. I, I took over the beat in 1990, and we all know what year that was and what the next four <laughs> years brought. It was a pretty, uh, pretty remarkable start to a career. I'll tell you that. I was going to ask you that. So your first four years as a, a sports writer covering the team full time for the newspaper, you end up covering four straight Super Bowls. I mean, that's just a fact that absolutely blows me away. There's probably not a lot of people out there in the world who could say that. Did you get the feeling at the time that, hey, this is the way things are supposed to be? Yeah, well, I've always said, Pat, that I, I know for a fact I'm the only beat writer in the history of football that his first four years he covered a Super Bowl for the team he covered because no team has gone to the Super Bowl four years in a row. <laughs> so I'm pretty safe in that assumption. Uh, and yeah, back then, you know, let's face it, they since 87 and 88, you know, we knew the Bills were an up-and-coming team. But man, to go to four straight Super Bowls, uh, the first four years I covered the team, I did think, like, man, this is how it's always going to be, I guess, because we always thought they were going to be good, right? Even the years after the Super Bowl run was over, they were still a very good team up until the end of the decade. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great start, and then I certainly got paid my comeuppance the next uh, 17 <laughs> years there when there were no playoffs. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, before we get into other stuff, because I'm going to talk about your website, we're going to talk some Buffalo Bills, some COVID, some other stuff, but just kind of reflect a little bit over these last 30 years of covering the team full-time for the newspaper. It's been a hell of a ride for you, like you kind of alluded to it. Super Bowls early on and 17 straight years of pretty lousy teams. You've been on a hell of a roller coaster ride covering this football team. Yeah, I'll tell you, Pat, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky in this business especially um, it's a, let's face it. It's a dying industry. We all know it. So for me to be at the paper for 35 years, uh, actually 34 years this year, and then to cover the bills for, it's going to be 31 years in a row, um, to still have the job is, I think is quite an accomplishment. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a great career. I've, you know, I, I probably told you the last time, you know, I was in sixth grade when I knew I wanted to be a sports writer. Right. So I've been living this dream job for you know three and a half decades i'm still getting paid to cover football games it's a pretty good gig it sure is now when we talked in 2018 on the air obviously we like i said we talked about your life and career one thing we did not talk about was covid 19 and that was probably because it was a good two full years or so before it really attacked this world in our country talk about covid a little bit the effect it's had on you this year both personally and professionally because you've had friends and colleagues of years that have lost their jobs because of this pandemic. I'm guessing you probably know a person or two who's been personally affected by this. I mean, it, like I said, it kind of came out of nowhere and turned our world literally upside down. Yeah, it's it sucks. I mean, what, what else can I say? I'm not, I know everyone feels the same way. This has just been an awful year um, in so many respects. I mean, not just the COVID, but everything that's happened in this country. It's just been one of the most, you know, depressing years in this nation's history. And it's, it's weird that, you know, I wrote a novel, a historical novel um, a couple of years ago about the year 1968. I'm a big history guy. And um, 1968 before 2020 was probably one of the most transformative years in American history. All the, the things that happened that year. So I wrote this novel, it's a historical novel and it's sports based. You know, the main character is a sports writer who covers all the major events, but then I have his family interjected to, you know, many other things that happened that year. So until 2020 came along, I thought 1968 was, was the most topsy-turvy 
crazy historic year. And 2020 is taking the cake, man. I mean, what's what's going on in this country? And COVID has just, you're right, it has, it has sucked the life out of so many industries, but journalism in particular. I know so many guys that have been laid off. It, it is, I feel, I feel miraculous that we're still going at the DNC, that we still have uh, we still have jobs there because we've we're taking a major hit. We're bleeding money left and right, and it's going to be a ridiculously weird year covering that. It's already been weird, Pat. I've been over to training camp twice. I went the first day of padded practices, and then with no access to the players, and me having to go back and forth from Rochester, and then doing Zoom calls in the parking lot, it just didn't make any sense for me to keep going back. I went to the scrimmage Thursday, so that's I've been there twice, and I'm telling you. I'm probably, I, well, I am going to go to the opening game against the Jets, and I may not go to a game the rest of the year. Travel has already been, you know, wiped out. And then for the home games, I don't know what, you, know, you probably have talked to Buffalo media, but all we can do, Pat, is go to the press box, sit there, wear your mask, and you can't go anywhere else. There's still no locker room access. So I'm like, well, what's the point of even being there? Right. There, there just really isn't a point. I mean, I will go... If New York State decides to allow fans into the games later in the year, I mean, the first two weeks, we already know that Governor Cuomo has said no. So if that were to change, then then I would feel the obligation to go to the stadium if, the fan, if there's going to be some kind of level of fans. But right now, it's looking like one game. Now, I'm a person who's been on the road for 31 years, every game, home and away. So it's, it's, it's going to be a hugely weird different season for all of us in the media. How difficult does everything going on make it to do your job effectively the way you're used to it? Because you're a beat writer, you're in the locker room, you have full access to the team. Whereas a lot of bloggers out there, some of them very good bloggers, but you're kind of in the same boat as them right now. Like you could go, like you said, you can go to the press box, but that's all you get. You don't get player access. It's almost not that much different than just say if you were watching the game on TV or something like that. It's got to be, especially considering everything you're used to and the protocols with doing your job, it's got to make it a lot more difficult, I would think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it's, it's all, like I said, the first two weeks of training camp, you know, we're basically at the mercy of who the Bills want to provide on these Zoom calls. Now, I mean, we, we can ask for players if we're going to do a special story on, you know, some rookie or whatever, I really haven't done that yet. I mean, once the season gets going, you know, and we know what the roster will look like, I'll probably take advantage of that. But yeah, I mean, we're at the mercy of, okay, the bills are going to give us uh, today. It was Dawson Knox and Tremaine Edmonds. That's it. I mean, those are the two guys we get McDermott tomorrow and we'll get two players later. It really does kind of, you know, pigeonhole how you cover the team, who you're going to write about. And it's just going to be a year, Pat, where, you know, you're, it's unfortunate for the fans because they're just not going to get a whole lot of diversity, I think, in the coverage. If we're all, if all of the media is basically getting the same guys every day, you know, you're not going to see a whole lot of interesting new stuff, right? right? I mean, it's just going to be how it's going to be. When we're in the locker room in a normal year, yeah, you're on your own. To, you can pursue your own stories, and you know, if I if I'm writing a feature on Tremaine Edmonds, I might talk to four other guys in the locker room. Well, I don't have that chance now. I can't do that. And I'm not going to have a Zoom call. I'm not going to request a Zoom call, Pat. If I'm doing a story on Edmonds, hey, get me um, Jerry Hughes, 
just so I could ask him about Edmonds. Right. He's not going to want to probably do that. So <laughs> it, it's going to be a really, really strange year to cover a team. It really is. And uh, we'll circle back to the Bills in a minute. Watching just sports in general right now, as a fan, like baseball and hockey, hoops, has it been weird for you with no real fans, all the virtual stuff going on? Did you adjust to it rather quickly or did it take you some time to sort of get used to it? Or are you even still used to it to this day right now watching like I know you're a big baseball guy we'll talk Yankees in a second by the way but just watching sports has it been weird for you uh, actually it hasn't to be honest I, I really I mean obviously you wish the fans were there there's no doubt about it but you know I'm a big baseball guy like you just said and really I'm watching these games I mean the game's the same I mean it's the exact right. same game and in baseball let's face it crowds aren't that big of a deal sure they're excited when something big happens but most of the night in a baseball game the fans are sitting there eating their hot dogs, you know, not really into it until something happens. I think it's a big difference. I think in hockey, to me, is the biggest difference. I'm not an NBA guy. I don't pay attention, but I do pay attention to the NHL. And obviously, in a hockey game, the crowd is a major part of it. So I think it sucks that we're watching these playoff games with no fans. Baseball, I think, is fine. Golf is absolutely fine. Right. I mean, who even who even misses a gallery in, in golf? Nobody. <laughs> so, you know, I've gotten used to it. Um, I've done one game. I covered the first Blue Jays game in Buffalo when they played the Marlins. I, they USA Today actually sent me over. So I've actually been in a stadium now where it was empty, and it was weird. There's, there's no question. I mean, they play the din of the crowd, and it just – it actually sounds better on TV. It sounded really kind of strange at the ballpark. On TV, it sounds better. And then I thought the Blue Jays people did a really nice job of, you know, pressing the right buttons when a big play was made. It, it was okay. And I think that's kind of fine right now. Again, sucks that fans can't be there. But me, as a, as a TV viewer, I haven't missed it yet. Now, the big test, Pat, is going to be football. Right. Because there's no sport where the crowd impacts more than football, you know, big third down, the crowd gets up. That's going to be a very, very different dynamic. And we're still waiting. There was a, I think there was a conference call today. I wasn't on it, but Troy Vincent was on and they're still discussing how loud teams can make their stadiums. They haven't come to a decision yet on how much crowd noise can be pumped in. They're, they're, they're actually trying to test certain decibel levels to see what's going to be, you know, I guess, fair to the other team. I, I don't know why. Uh, to me, it shouldn't matter. I mean, if you're the home team, you should be able to do whatever you want, just like you would if you had fans. But, you know, the NFL being the control freaks that they are, they're going to try to come up with some kind of uniform crowd noise, um, you know, parameter, I guess you'd call it. Uh, w with the Yankees, now, again, you're a Yankees guy, been a Yankees fan my whole life. I, I got to ask you, man, what, what's up with having so many injury-prone players, key guys on this team, Aaron Judge and Stan and Hicks, These guys are always hurt, man. Dudes can't stay out there to save their life. Plus, Gary Sanchez is hitting like what, 120? We're taping this Monday night. I think he's not even hitting 130 going into Monday night, man. What the hell's going on with this team? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm tired. I really am. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge, it's the one thing that I'm a fan of. I mean, I, I mean, I pay attention to the Sabres, obviously, right. but I mean, I've covered the Sabres in the past and, you know, I, I and I, I do. I'm sort of a fan of them, but, the one true team that I'm a fan of, because I had nothing to do with baseball in my career, is the Yankees. So it's my passion. Every night I'm watching games. And they, this team is one of the most unlikable Yankee teams in recent memory. There's just nothing to like about this team, Pat. <laughs> and I, I'm so sick and tired of these China dolls. I mean, how do you how could you be a professional athlete 
and you're not able to run 90 feet without pulling a calf or a yeah. hamstring. I mean, I just, it's so tiring. And I know there's injuries all across baseball, but there's no team in the history of baseball that's had more injuries than these Yankees. They're, they're worse than any football team I've ever seen. I mean, there are football teams that are healthier after a game than the Yankees are. It's, it's pretty frustrating. It is. Now, so they're 19 and 14. Again, heading into Monday night, they're up 2 nothing right now. I'm kind of watching the game while we're talking here. Four and a half back of Tampa. So the 2020 uh, playoff format, it's really different this year. A best of three wild card series first round instead of a sudden death game. Uh, they got it. the top two teams in each division to qualify, and the two other best teams in the league fill out 16 teams. So eight teams in each league. Division winners, seeded one through three. I'm looking at it here now. Second place, four through six. Final two, a wild card, seven and eight. What? First of all, what are your thoughts on that this year? Now, it's only for one year, but still, eight teams in each uh, league are making the playoffs, so 16 total. That's pretty wacky. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm actually okay with it, Pat. Yeah. I mean, really, just the season is so screwed up. It's going to be, we hope, 60 games. In fact, most teams probably won't even play 60 games with all the postponements that there's been. So I, it's fine by me. The more baseball we can get in October after losing four months of it during the regular season is fine. And I think it's probably fair, too, because, you know, how do you really determine the five best teams in each conference or in each league? in 60 games, right? you know? So, I mean, I think it's good that they opened it up and it'll be fun. I mean, let's face it. Once the playoffs do get here, I think fans are going to immediately forget that it was a 60 game goofy season. You know, the, the, the statistics probably aren't going to mean a whole lot to people, but once the playoffs get here, I think there's going to be a new level of interest. I think it's going to be, it's playoff baseball. I mean, they're still handing out a trophy right. and, and someone's going to want to win that trophy. So I'm fine with the playoff format the way it is. Obviously, I don't want it to be an ongoing thing. If we do get back to normal in 2021, fingers crossed, I don't want this to continue. I, I want them to go back to the way it was. But for this year, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, as a Yankees fan, uh, that might be a good thing because they would be in a dogfight for a playoff spot the way they're playing right now. But with eight teams in uh, each league, I think they're pretty set. I, I just I can't believe that it's uh, – you know, September now, and there are all these games in, and I'm reliant most on Luke Voigt to provide steady offense. Nothing against Luke Voigt. I like him as a player, but again, all these guys, all these names in this lineup, Judge and Stanton, and well, DJ's been amazing this year. He got hurt, though, but all these guys, and, and it's Luke Voigt carrying the offense right now. It's scary, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, you're right. I never thought in a million years that he was going to be their bell cow this year. I mean, he, I think, you know, he's a nice player. But you know, I wasn't even sure he'd be their full-time first baseman. And now he, he has been. He's been their most reliable guy outside of LeMayu. But even LeMayu missed a couple weeks with an injury. So Voight's been there every night, and that's been great. But nobody else has joined him on the bandwagon. And it's been, like I said, really, it's just maddening. It's maddening that every time I look at my phone on, on the next day, right after a game, I cringe. Because I, I wonder, okay, who is Boone going to tell me is now on the injured list. It's every, it's almost every day something happens. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. If they can finally get their team back together, and, you know, they keep telling us that, you know, Torres is getting close. I think Britain might have come back today. I think I heard that. Um, Judge, they're hoping at the end of the month should be good, and then back for the playoffs. Stanton, I think, is getting close. So if they could finally get all these guys back, 
it will be interesting to see what they can do. But my worry, Pat, as a Yankees fan, is that after all the time these guys have missed, they're going to come back right before the playoffs. And are they going to be sharp? I'm not sure. Right. They, they may not be sharp, and they may not be good enough to win maybe even that first-round series. I, I don't have much faith. With the even if they get their guys back, like I just said, after all the missed time, I don't have a whole lot of faith that they're going to be the team to beat come October. Well, what about on the other side of the fence? Your NL team, the Cubbies, they're looking pretty good. They're in first place. They're three games up in the Central. Yeah, the Cubs are lucky. They're playing in a horrible division, which is why they're in first place. I I don't have a whole lot of faith in them. They got off to a thirteen and three start, and it was it was kind of a miss. And they they've kind of found their level. They've been, you know, about a 500 team since then. They've got some nice players. They made a few moves at the deadline. Not not big moves, but they at least changed the roster a little bit. So in the National League, I mean, they're going to make the playoffs and and they'll be okay. But they're not going anywhere. They're not going to if they get to the if they get to the championship series, it'll be against the Dodgers, and the Dodgers will wipe the floor with them. I, it, Pat, if the Dodgers don't win the World Series this year, they're never going to win it. Seriously, <laughs> I mean, it's been 30. 32 years, right, since right. the Kirk Gibson year. If they don't win it this year, there may be no hope for the Dodgers out there. I'll tell you what, I'm going to save that soundbite for Erie County Executive Mark Polenkar's biggest Dodgers fan I know. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. I mean, they're so good. They, they got are. everything. They are so good. Although we said that last year. Right. I mean, there were people talking about their team last year that there was no way they could lose, and they found a way to do it. But I just can't see anybody beating the Dodgers this year. Tell us a little bit about uh, your website. Now, I opted in via email, okay? And I had never done anything like this before. And once you opt in via email, you email people that are on your list each time you put content up there. It's really cool, man. New content, old historical stuff of yours as well. And you're interactive with people. I haven't had a chance to really dive in yet, but I have looked at some stuff. And like I said, I see people comment or ask you questions, and it's a good form and a platform for you to be able to interact with people who are interested in your content. So tell people a little bit more about it. Yeah, it actually, it was, it was weird. I was going to do a newsletter um, on Substack was the platform. And unfortunately I got, I got pretty far down the road and my employers decided to pull the plug on me because they considered Substack for whatever stupid reason, uh, a competitor. So that fell through. And I I was pretty pissed. I got to say, I was really pissed about it because it was going to be a place where I could promote all the work that I do, all my freelance, my my history work, and then obviously my bills stuff. It was all going to be in one place, and that was an email. Um, I, I had a, about a thousand person email list, and every morning, well, five times a week, I was going to blast out this newsletter to the email list, and it was like a private type of group, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that fell through, and then literally like two days later, a buddy of mine texted me about this mighty networks which is, it's not a newsletter, but it's a website platform. You can build your own website and it's interactive. It comes with an app, which you've seen. So I kind of looked into it and I had permission from my employer to, to maintain my, my old sports history website, which was salmayorana.com. So I had permission to continue to do that. So I just moved you know, over to this Mighty Networks platform. And it's very similar to what the newsletter was going to be. I've got an email list. And I, you know, I'm getting people to sign up. You know, I invite them via their email to join. I've been on Twitter direct messaging people. Hey, check this out. I send them a link. So I'm starting to grow the membership. I'm up to about maybe 260 people have joined so far. 
And every time I post a story, they get an email notification that, hey, there's something new with the site. If you want to go read it, you know, have at it. And so far, I've gotten pretty good reaction. People have enjoyed it. Now, it's going to be all sports history. I can't put any Bill stuff. I can't put even any any stuff that's current events. It's got my, my employers have said, you can't compete with us. So you can write your little history stuff. Okay. But that's it. So it's all going to be history stuff. But that's my passion anyways. That's my hobby. So it'll be enjoyable. And I'm hoping that, you know, more people, I, you know, people love today, right, Pat? Sure. Everyone lives for the moment, especially in sports. And a lot of people ignore history. So I'm hoping that I can maybe, you know, illuminate some people that, hey, you know what? There was actually some cool stuff that happened before 2019. Really, there was. Yeah, for sure. And I'll t- I like the format. I think it's pretty cool, man, because honestly, if you tweet out an article, an old article, new article, whatever it may be, and you follow enough people on Twitter, if I happen to not be on Twitter during that time where you tweet it out, I might, I might miss it and I might never exactly. know about it. But this way, every time I check my email, like I said, if uh, you put out something, I'm going to know about it. Like for an example, just today, you posted a story about uh, the night uh, Pirates made baseball racial history. I haven't had a chance to read that yet. But uh, also, I've seen an article, the birth of the Georgetown-Syracuse rivalry. I'm sure that has something to do with John Thompson passing away right. recently. Uh, I saw a yep. post about the nine, and from all the way back to 1996 about a young Andy Pettit. So, yeah, a lot of really cool old, older stuff to nostalgia stuff to really uh, to dig into. And I, I like the format a lot. I really do. Yeah, the email thing, like I said, with the newsletter, it was going to be great. It was, like you said, it's direct contact with people twitter exactly what that's exactly what happens i put out tweets to build stuff or whatever and you never know who's going to see it and then it gets pushed down the timeline and you may never see it same right. thing with facebook with their algorithm i never know who sees my posts on facebook some get huge attention and some get like two shares so right. you just never know so this way if I'm, I'm building a membership that i hope is interested in the content and i can just get to them directly and the more I build it, then you know the bigger the audience becomes. Actually, that 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 night that Yankees thing that you saw, Pat, that's part of a series that I'm doing. Uh, it's called Dynasty Yankees 1996 to 2000. That's going to be going on for the next four or five months. Wow! It's going to be three posts a week, and it's basically a chronological history of the four years they won the World Series in that five-year period. So you, as a Yankee fan, should be following that right along. You'll enjoy that. And I just started yesterday. I'm also doing the same thing with the AFL. It's a retrospective of the history of the AFL. So there's going to be three posts a week that's going to take people through the entire history of the AFL, the great games, the championship games, players, coach profiles, really fun, cool stuff. So I've got some baseball, football work in there. I hope to hope to get you know both sides of the crowd there. That's really cool, man. I'm looking forward to reading some of that stuff. I'll put a link to that as well in the show notes. Now, you talked a few minutes ago when we're talking about the bills here again, covering the team and how strange it's been. And you've only been there a couple times. Uh, talk about a couple of the crazy restrictions that you and other reporters have right now for some out there who may not know. Now, I don't know all the details, but I know Chris Brown got in some trouble for something that was tweeted out. There's yeah. I listen to some other podcasts. Like I listen to Joe B and Matt Fairburn and they're, very careful with what they say because there's certain things that they can and they can't say. So for fans listening who may not know, what are just like a couple of these restrictions, like what you can and what you can't do. That's just so different than before. Yeah. I mean, it was really weird. Um, like I said, I went to the first practice that they had um, the padded practices that we were allowed to watch all the way through. 
and they put that policy up like the night before <laughs> and I'm reading through it and I'm like, well, what am I even there for then? I mean, you literally can't talk about almost anything that you see, um, at least the interesting stuff. I mean, oh, sure. You could say, yeah, Josh Allen threw a, a bomb to Stefan Diggs. Okay, well, big deal. It's practice. That, that happens. People are interested in, all right, who looks good or who's playing where, who's on the first team, who's on the second team. The right side of the offensive line is a big thing, but we can't say who's in the competition. It's just really bizarre. And I, I do understand it from this perspective, Pat. There's no NFL preseason games this year. So there's no film of any of these teams doing anything. So all the teams have taken advantage of this. And with all the training camps at their facilities, nobody went off site in, in public. They've got them on their property so they can make the rules. And I sort of get, you know, in this NFL wacko paranoid world that all these coaches live in, the less information, the better. So Brandon Bean came right out and admitted to us on a Zoom, I think it was last week. He has his scouts scouring Twitter, looking for information that the media might be leaking out. So they've decided, you know what? We're not letting them do anything. We don't want any information. We don't want anybody to know what uh, Reggie Gilliam, rookie fullback, is doing because we might want to keep him on our practice squad or whatever the issue might be. So I sort of understand it, but as a media guy, it really is kind of aggravating. And in fact, when I went to the scrimmage, you know, I'd only been there the one time and I hadn't really been reporting on what, what even happened in that first practice. It was more of a, just be there for the scene. I even asked Matt Fairburn. I said, okay, he's our PF, our PFWA um, ref mm -hmm. or ref. And I asked him, I'm like, so, uh, Matt, what exactly can I say? And he said, okay, well, don't write about the right side of the offensive line. Um, you can say that Josh Allen completed however many passes it was. You can say that Dawson Knox had a bad drop. But anything that's like a competition or who's playing where, who's playing with who, it's all off limits. So it, it was really kind of a weird thing. But like I said, I sort of understand it. And once the season starts and there's film out there, then I think the restrictions will be a little bit looser. It's just so weird. It so, really is. I mean, it's, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world for everybody, but for us in our little world of sports journalism, it's just a whole way. It's a whole new way of doing things. And I, I got to say, I mean, it's, it's really kind of frustrating. I mean, I just can't believe that I'm going to spend the entire fall probably in my living room covering the bills. That's probably what's going to happen. And it's just, it's just bizarre to even think about. You've went from 30-year beat writer who's covered four Super Bowls to basically being, at least for a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months, a, a basement blogger. <laughs> just exactly. Like that. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, man. So now you mentioned this already. The Bills, no fans, at least for their first two home games. That's already been announced. Now other teams are going to have fans at lower capacities, including Miami, who's playing the Bills, I think, in week two. What's your take on that? Like some teams having fans and others not. If it was up to you, would every team, would no teams be able to have fans until everyone could? Or are you good with the way things are going right now, the way the rulings are? Yeah, I, I, I'm on the side of the NFL should have a uniform policy. I mean, if, if one team can, can't have fans, then no team should have fans. Now, that being said, let's remember the NFL was all about one thing, and that's money. Mm -hmm. That's all these owners care about is money. And they're losing a shit ton of it this year. There's no doubt about it. So when the Bills go to play Miami and there's going to be 13,000 fans there, well, guess what? The Pagoulas will get 40% of the, 
of that ticket revenue, not the suites, but they'll get 40% of that. So they're going to get a check. So that's a way to recoup some of the money. So I can guarantee you there's no NFL owner. Sean McDermott came out a couple weeks ago and said he thinks it's ridiculous yeah. that the Dolphins can have 13,000 and the Bills can't have anybody. I guarantee you, Terry and Kim Pagula said, hey, Sean, why don't you just pipe down there, pal? Because <laughs> we're going to get some money out of that. You deal with 13,000 fans. And honestly, Pat, I don't think it's going to matter. I mean, 13,000 people spread out in a football stadium right. shouldn't be too big of a deal for the Bills offense when they go to Miami. I'm sorry. That should not be a big issue. I understand where McDermott's coming from on this. And like I said, I think it should be uniform across the board, but th that's not going to impact the game. If the Bills are worried about that, then they've got bigger things to, you know, to be worried about. Yeah, I mean, if you got a stadium capacity and only 20% in there, if anything, it might be a little distracting to the home team to look out and see such a sparse crowd. I really don't think it's going to be much of an advantage, but I do agree with you. I think it should be all or none as well. Now, when you take the seamer now, the Bills, are you comfortable with the Buffalo Bills being considered by most anyway to be the AFC East favorite? Now, again, New England has won 20 straight division titles, lost a lot, including, of course, Tom Brady. The Bills on paper might be the better team. Are you comfortable with them being considered the favorites right now? Yeah, I, I am. I, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that I'm saying that, but it's true. I mean, without Brady in the division, you know, the Patriots had like whatever, nine guys opt out um, because of COVID. They're, they aren't the same team. They still have the greatest coach in history, but they're not the same team. Now, Cam Newton is going to have a major role there. I mean, if it's, if it's Cam Newton who's anywhere close to the former great player that he was, then the Patriots, I think, will be a team to be reckoned with. If he's not, if he's the, the guy that has been hurt the last few years, I, I don't think they're much more than a 500 team. And I think the Bills roster top to bottom is clearly better. So, you know, if, if the Bills play the way they're capable of, they should win the division. They're the best team on paper in the division. And I honestly believe that they will be not only the division champ, they're going to be a contender. The Chiefs are still the best team without question. The Ravens are very good, but I think you're, I think the Bills are right there, maybe in that third slot. So who knows how, how the playoffs fall? They get lucky. I think they'll be a Super Bowl contender. Will they get there? Probably not, but I think they're going to be right in the hunt. Well, I would say one thing, not to be a neggy Nancy here, but I think one thing going against the Bills defense, which is very good, one of the better defenses for sure in the NFL, is that I think it's good, but they also last year had a lot of very favorable quarterback opponents on the schedule. Not the case this year because they got Patrick Mahomes. They got Russell Wilson. They got Big Ben. I'm looking at the list right now. Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Cam Twice. You said Cam. Tannehill, Derek Carr, Drew Locke. Some, it, it looks like they got a lot tougher quarterback matchups this year than they did last year. Oh, absolutely. The schedule is much tougher. They 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 played an easy schedule last year. They also had historically good luck with injuries. They, they they basically had maybe the healthiest year the Bills have ever had. So that's probably not going to happen again. You figure that'll even out a little bit, but their schedule is much tougher. So, and I understand that, but I do believe that this roster top to bottom should be able to handle that schedule. And remember when they go on the road to play in these tough places, there's not going to be any fans there. So you would think that advantage, you know, is going to be wiped away and if you just take the Bills roster, like I said, against most of the teams on their schedule, I think they're going to be the better team. Again, clearly, Kansas City, they're not better than them. There's a couple other teams, maybe San Francisco for sure. But I think in most games, 
the Bills are probably going to be the favorite. So go take care of business and prove to us that you are the team that Sean McDermott thinks you're going to be. It's just so different to hear somebody who covers a team say that. <laughs> the Bills are going to be favorite in most games. I'm still trying to process it all and uh, and get used to it. Now, when it, <laughs> now when it comes to, to Josh Allen, look, I, there's only so much you could see, even when you are there regularly in T-shirts and shorts and with no contact at all. But based on what little you've seen, and I'm sure you've had conversations with a lot of your colleagues, uh, how has Josh Allen looked so far in camp? Yeah, to me, I, I think he's looked, I mean, the, the two times that I've been there, I thought he looked really good. Now, now I've been reading, you know, obviously there's guys over there. Um, there's a group of guys that have access every day. Fairburn's one of them. Matt Perino, who you know. Um, a couple other guys have access every day. Of course, they have to take COVID test every day too, which I really want, wouldn't want to sign up for that. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not part of that group. But, you know, I read and I talk to those guys. And, you know, they said he's had some good days. He's had a few days where it wasn't so good, but you know, you also remember he's playing against a pretty good defense in practice too. So I think I'm pretty, I feel at this point, pretty confident that Josh is going to take that necessary step. He took a big one from his rookie year into year two, which he had to, because he wasn't very good as a rookie. And he made that leap. I thought last year, plenty of room for improvement. And I think you're going to see it. And the obvious reasons are, He's got people around him, Pat. I mean, Bean has done a great job of giving him weapons on offense. He's got terrific skill position guys. Their offensive line, I think, is pretty good. It's not great, but I think it's pretty good. And then he's in year three with the same coach, the same coordinator, second year with the same quarterback's coach. There's a lot of things working in Josh Allen's favor. Um, I think he's going to have a good year, and I think he's probably going to surprise some people. There's a lot of people out there that still are waiting for him to fall flat on his face. They're never going to think that he, he can be, you know, a true NFL franchise type of guy. I think he does have that in him. And for all the reasons I just mentioned, he's set up for success this year. And I think he'll be able to have a good year. How much of a make or break year is it for him? Like how badly would he have to play to go into say year four next year, where he might find himself like in a Mitch Trubisky situation where Brandon B might have to go outside the organization and get a competent, better veteran backup than, say, Matt Barkley is right now that might be able to push him or even take his job. It would have to be a pretty substantial fall, you would say? Oh, yeah. And, and, and I don't even think, I mean, I, if he has a bad year this year and they miss the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people, obviously. But I, I don't even think that's going to be enough for the Bills not to give him the fifth-year option. They believe in this guy. And remember, he's their guy, right? I mean, Bean and McDermott, they're, they're joined at the hip. And this was their guy. They did a lot of work on that quarterback class in 2018. They settled on Josh Allen. And I think they're sinking or swimming with him. And now that McDermott's got his deal and we think Bean's going to get his deal, the pressure is going to be less. It is. I mean, if they were on their last years of their contracts, living and dying with Josh Allen, then things might be different. But that's not going to be the case. So I think he's going to be the Bills quarterback probably for several years. I just hope that. I, I hope he becomes the player that those guys think he can be. Because if he does, the Bills are going to be set up for success for several years to come here. Were you good with the way the offseason went in that? So I like this team a lot, like most Bills fans. I think, like you said, I think they're set up for success. And I think they can be legitimate AFC contenders. They went out, they added Stephon Diggs. We could talk about Josh Allen to the end of the world, how good the defense is. 
But the one thing they did not do, which worries at least some people, and I'm, by some people, I mean myself, to be honest with you, there were a lot of good veteran quarterback options out there that ended up taking one-year deals as backups in other, in other cities. Jameis Winston went to the Saints for one year. Andy Dalton went to Dallas for one year. Cam Newton is with New England. Those guys all sat around unsigned. The Bills were rolling with Matt Barkley. If, God forbid, Josh Allen suffers a serious injury early in the season, I almost feel like, well, that's a wrap on their prospects for being a contender because of what's behind them. Do you think that they maybe miss an opportunity to go out and get someone better? Or maybe had they done that, it would have been, it would have helped Josh Allen. You feel like that's the right quarterback room for him right now. I think, um, I see your point in bringing in a veteran guy. And I, I considered it. I thought that they might, they might do it because Barkley, I, you know, Barkley is the ultimate mediocrity. I mean, yeah, he went into that game against the Jets two years ago and was great against a lousy Jets team. And then we saw last year, he goes in against the Patriots and couldn't do anything in a game the Bills should have won. And then he plays the last game against the Jets, which didn't matter, and he didn't do very well at all. So I think you're right. If Allen gets hurt and Barkley's the guy, the Bills are going to have some trouble. Now, their defense is good enough where they're going to be in every game, and you hope their running game and the weapons they have at receiver will lift Mac Bartley, Barkley up a little bit. At least you hope that's the case. But I guess there was an opportunity to go out and get a guy. I think what they were concerned about, though, was Josh Allen's our guy. We want him to know he's our guy, and we don't want to bring in a veteran who might, you know, right. push him or you know, or, or usurp him or whatever the the word you want to use. I, I don't think they wanted that distraction. They wanted Josh Allen to know you're our guy. Sink or swim. We like Matt Barkley. It's, it's a good quarterback room. They have a good relationship. Let's just keep that going. So you know, we'll see. I mean, the kid has been pretty durable for a guy who takes that many shots. You, you, you know, the one injury he had was kind of a fluke thing. He banged his elbow on, I think it was, uh, wasn't it Merciless's helmet, I think? Yeah. In, 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 uh, or Clowney, one of those two guys in Houston. It was kind of a freak injury. So he's been pretty durable, and the Bills need him to continue to be durable because if he does go down, I would worry about Matt Barkley. Are you concerned about CB2? Because you have Josh Norman hurting, and frankly, a little bit of a risk anyway to begin with based on how he looked his last few years in Washington. And for the moment, you know, Levi Wallace is currently back to starting. How do you feel about that position? Is it one that concerns you? Yeah, I think I think Levi Wallace is fine. I mean, really, on that defense, if he's your weak link, you're pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, because he's not a bad player. He's been a starter there for a year and a half, and he has not been a notable weakness at all as far as I'm concerned. You know, I understand why they brought Josh Norman in. They think they can resurrect him because he's one of their guys from Carolina. We'll see, but he has not played well for a couple of years, and now he's got this hamstring. Who knows? I, you know, they haven't told us how serious an injury it is. He's not back. He's been out for almost two weeks, so I don't know what you expect from Josh Norman. But I, I'm fine with Wallace. He's a good player. Um, their depth, you know, is a little bit shaky now because of Norman and EJ Gaines opting out. You know, going into the going into the year, they were looking really good at cornerback. When they had four veteran guys if you count Wallace a veteran they were going to have four guys to line up and then you've got Taron Johnson in the slot so it's a little bit thinner than it was but if they can get Norman back you know I think they'll be fine at cornerback last question then I'll let you go Sal based on what little you've been able to see at camp this year and again guys that you may have spoken with who's a guy or two that has you pretty excited to see this year obviously 
Josh Allen would be one. So I'm not counting Josh Allen. Like a guy or two right. on this team that has you pretty excited, that you're looking forward to seeing what they're going to do. Well, I mean, the obvious answer is Diggs, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, he's a really good player, and I expect big things from him. I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see Zach Moss. I mean, <laughs> I saw him a little bit, obviously, in, in the practices I've been at. And, you know, you watch his college tape. I love the way that kid runs. And I think he and Singletary are going to be a terrific one-two punch. I mean, Frank Gore was a nice story for a few weeks last year. But, you know, let's face it, he, he was shocked. I can't believe he's still playing. I can't believe the Jets signed him because he, to me, was at the very end of the line last year and Singletary had to carry the load. Now, I think Boston Singletary, you, it might even be after maybe the first few weeks, it might, it might be a 50-50 situation in the playing time. I think they're that similar of players, and I think, I think Moss is going to have a, a, an impact on this offense. So I'm excited to see him. And then, you know, I'm, I'm really – Gabriel Davis – Probably won't get a lot of playing time because their top three is so good. But, Pat, I, I haven't seen this kid drop a ball. Well, I saw him drop one. He had one go through his hands in the scrimmage. It was actually a bullet that Allen probably threw too hard, and it, it got picked off and went right through his hands. That's the only ball I've seen the kid drop. I mean, he catches everything. So I'm excited to see him play, too. Good. Interesting stuff. All right, everyone, give Sale a follow on Twitter, at Sale Mariano. Of course, check out Rochester DNC. I'm going to put a link to the website as well. Like I said, you can opt in, get email notifications, great historic stuff there. Thanks a lot, Sal, man. It's been a while since I had you on the pod, and uh, one of my favorite veteran Buffalo Bills beat reporters, man. I always look forward to reading your stuff. All right, man. Pat, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Sal Mariana, one of the great veterans of the Buffalo sports community. Always good to talk to Sal. Thank you very much. Don't forget, coming up on Friday show, episode 250, I'm going to have Sal Capaccio. We'll talk some Buffalo Bills, plenty of life stuff, I'm sure. Look forward to that on Friday. Guys, look, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rating review, all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast tremendously. Of course, you can find us on any major podcasting platform out there. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google. Anyway, find us there. Uh, check us out on YouTube. Talk about the podcast channel on YouTube. I got highlight clips from current and past episodes. I'm going to have some original content coming there as well very soon. Then, of course, last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pemoran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, uh, promos, upcoming guests, just talking stuff with fans, man. I love Twitter. I'm there all the time. So at Pemoran Tweets, thank you so much for listening. I mean it. I really do. There's so many podcasts out there. I say this every time. I know I sound like a broken record, but it's true. It really is. There's so many shows out there. And whether it's 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it may be, When you're giving my podcast your time, it really means the world to me. It's very humbling. So thank you very much. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Do what you got to do, man. Make this country better and safer. And I'll be back. Episode 250 coming up on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.